Father, I want to thank you for what this passage of Scripture says. I want to thank you that there's power and there's life. There is a spiritual energy that comes from the Holy Spirit in your word. May we enjoy a touch of your word in our lives this very morning. Father, it's an honor to be here and to share this word. Touch me, I pray in Jesus' name. May I not share just mere words today, Father, but may I share an anointing that you have blessed me with, Father. And may it help me share it with your people. We have a desire, Father, that no one would leave here today without being touched by the power and presence of your Spirit or your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. And amen. In John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. Say that with me. My sheep hear my voice. One more time. My sheep hear my voice. If you are not accustomed to hearing the voice of the Lord, you need to get accustomed to hearing the voice of the Lord or you need to talk to him about your relationship. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That just described Christianity right there in a nutshell. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The title of this message is, Did You Hear That? This morning I'm reminded of an old story about a woman who woke her husband in the middle of the night and in a panic she asked him, did you hear that? He wanted to roll over and go back to sleep but it was undeniable that someone or something was moving around downstairs. Naturally the husband was curious so he moved to the stairs to see what was going on when he surprised an intruder that was busy gathering the family's personal belongings. When uh, the would-be burglar realized that he had been discovered, he started to run for the door when the owner yelled to the man, Please don't go. I want to introduce you to my wife. She's been listening for you for 40 years. <laughs> man, I'm glad I didn't have to waste my time explaining that one to you. I'm glad there was a little laughter in the room, you know. Anyone who seeks to hear God's voice is likely to find themselves asking this question. Which voice is God's? Because when we listen for his voice, we often hear other voices speaking to us as well. We can become frustrated very quickly. Sometimes our problem isn't that we hear nothing, it's that we hear too much. And all those voices can't possibly be his. So how does a person who wants to obey God sort through these voices and select only that one which is really from him? How do we discern which is merely self-talk generated from somewhere in our subconscious or even worse, a temptation or deception inserted into our thoughts by a spiritual enemy who's trying to lead us into trouble? And which voice truly belongs, and which voice truly belongs to the Holy Spirit. There's some important steps we can take to prepare ourselves to listen that can help us eliminate much of this confusion. Each step moves us toward a proper frame of heart and mind. And when we're in that condition, we're able to recognize his voice when we hear it. Today we're going to discuss four of these steps. Each one is very simple, 
But just because they're easy to understand, it does not make them easy to do. They require us to exercise self-discipline, and as we move from one step to the next, they require us to be very honest with ourselves and humble enough to correct those things that absolutely need to be corrected. And throughout this message, we've got to remember that these are only guidelines meant to prepare us to recognize his voice. None should be thought of as a substitute for his voice in and of themselves. In other words, the steps themselves can't provide the substance we seek. I'm going to read that again. In other words, the steps themselves can't provide the substance we seek. That comes only when he speaks to us because our goal is to hear from him in whatever way he chooses to communicate to us. Yet if we take these steps seriously and do them, we will discover that he's willing to counsel us far more often than we think. Amen? That comes only when he speaks to us because our goal is to hear from him in whatever way he chooses to communicate. Yet, yet if we take these steps seriously and do them, we'll discover that he is willing to counsel us far more than we uh, have realized. We discovered that our struggle to receive guidance in the past was not because God was silent, for he was talking to us all along. Sometimes our problem is that we don't know which voice was his. God's free to speak to us anytime he wants to, and I would suppose that most of us have startling moments when suddenly in the most unexpected situations he said something to us and there was no mistaking who it was. Are those not wonderful encounters? They reveal his sovereignty in our lives and become some of our treasured memories. But startling moments aren't the daily bread we live on. Have you ever caught yourself talking to someone about the, the few times in your life that you were surprised that God literally said something in you so distinctly that you recognized it. Well, that's powerful. No one can deny that. It's wonderful. You know, we weren't even looking for it. We weren't even, we weren't, you know, seeking God for it, and it just appeared. That's why I made the statement, but startling moments aren't the daily bread we should count on or live on. We need to hear him more often than that. The example of Jesus during his earthly ministry tells us that regular communication with God is not only possible, it is essential if we're going to fulfill his call in our lives. We're not being presumptuous to desire an ongoing conversation with him. But many of us don't have one, not because he has nothing to say to us, but because we've not been taught how to prepare ourselves to listen. The following guidelines are not merely helpful suggestions. Each one represents a principle that is essential is an essential precondition if a person is going to have more than a few startling moments. I say this confidently, not based solely on my own experience, though I do practice these with some faithfulness, and I know their power, but because the Word of God proclaims them to us. So with each guideline, we will include an example as best we can of scriptural support. So let's begin. First point. Set aside time to listen. Step one, 
Set aside time to listen. The first guideline may sound too familiar to some of us, and our tendency might be to overlook it, but it's easy, easily the most important one of all. In the contemporary church, there's been far too little emphasis on prayerful listening. If someone suggests that we set aside time and learn to listen for God's voice, the common reply is that we would love to do so, but our schedule will not allow it. We're just too busy. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, there's a little sliver of dynamic message that is embedded between two dynamic stories that are easy to remember. Right in between Jesus Christ feeding over 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. I mean, it, it, is there anyone here that hasn't heard that miracle, heard about that miracle? That Jesus Christ took these loaves and fishes and prayed over them. And they started handing out the food. <clears throat> and when it was through, they took up the leftovers. And there was like a dozen baskets. I don't know exactly. I mean, it was a lot of baskets of food. How many of you know that <clears throat> for, you know, the average Joe, starting with one basket and ending with 12, it, it isn't as easy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think about the dynamic faith. But Jesus said, if we have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. Amen. We can say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and it will giddy up. Amen? It will go. Paraphrase mine. Amen? Now, and after that, the miracle took place where Jesus came walking out to the disciples in a boat on the sea during a storm, right? Anybody remember that story? Sandwiched in between is this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Most likely the busiest man that ever walked the face of the earth, the Son of God. If anybody could have thrown his hands up and said, what well, I don't really need to talk to Father. I mean, he's my Father. I'm his son. He knows I love him. You know, I know he loves me. I'm busy about my fathers. But no, you find it time and time and time again where the Son of God made time to be alone with his Father in prayer. That's how they chose to do it. That's the example they set for us. And how can we say we're too busy? If we've prayed about matters and know what he wants us to do, large amounts of time, money, and energy are saved by making the right decisions. Can you say amen? I'm going to say that again. If we've prayed about matters and know what he wants us to do, large amounts of time, money, and energy are saved by making the right decisions. Whether we plan a regular schedule or not, hearing from God requires time. And God isn't the one who needs that time. God doesn't need time. Who needs it? We do. And God isn't the one who needs that time. It's us. How long it takes depends on the condition of our heart. Right there. How long it takes uh, depends on the condition of our heart. Sometimes we break through quickly, and sometimes it takes hours to set aside the junk and the worries and the doubt and the fear and the unbelief. Next point. Besides setting some time aside on a regular basis, 
We need to, I wrote this very personally, evaluate my will. Evaluate my will. Before we ask for guidance, we should ask ourselves this question. Am I committed to obey whatever I hear him say before I hear him say it? Or am I merely willing to consider his will as one of several possibilities? The answer to that question will reveal my attitude. Whether I'm truly submitted to him or intending to control my own circumstances. That's a conversation killer, by the way. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. I want you to read this with me. Luke chapter 20, 1 through 8. Luke chapter 20, 1 through 8. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and drew a crowd. Amen. Next verse. And said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or what it is that gave you this authority. And he answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now listen, listen to me carefully here. We've got a group of people, they're asking Jesus questions, but he's not willing to answer them. Does that make sense? He's unwilling to answer them. Now, I don't care if you are a Pharisee, a Sadducee, uh, you know, whatever. I don't care what you are. I don't care what you call yourself. Are you hearing me? I don't care what you call yourself. Just because you ask God a question, he's not obligated to answer. And, 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 and listen to me. Here is one of the main reasons why. You chop a couple of chapters forward to Luke chapter 23, and now Jesus is before Herod. It says in Luke 23, verse 9, So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. Didn't matter that Herod was a high-ranking official in the area. Didn't move Jesus. And Jesus was not going to answer his questions. The painful fact is that there are times when God stops speaking to us because he knows we have no intention of obeying him. And our words won't fool him. We can say we're submitted, but if we're not, he knows it. So if we want to hear from him, we must search our motives, work through whatever fears or ambitions we find there until we can honestly say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Next point, I must evaluate my spiritual condition. Next, we've got to ask ourselves, am I in the spirit or in the flesh? In other words, which one is controlling my mood right now? Because both have a voice, and given my present condition, one of them is speaking to me louder than the other. Listen to Paul's explanation in Romans chapter 8, 
verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Either turn there or make a note, go back, but we're, you're pretty familiar with this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So recognizing the spiritual condition we're in is much easier to determine than we might think. All we need to do is step back and honestly look at ourselves. Are we fearful? Are we angry? Are we full of shame? Are we full constantly with sorrow? For these feelings are dumb. If these feelings are dominating us at the moment, we're not in the right condition to hear the voice of God. And you would think that at that time we would need to hear his voice more so than any other time. But it's about positioning. Spiritual positioning. Amen? We're probably hearing voices that tell us to quit and to run or tell someone something unkind. You ever, ever been tempted to do that? Or to stop resisting our wrong impulses and just give in. Just give in. Just quit. God's not going to help you. When we're in the wrong condition, those voices grow louder. And if we contemplate obeying them, we might feel a sense of relief from the pressure that's been building inside of us, but only temporarily. And that relief can be mistaken. It can be mistaken for the peace of God because if I flee, I don't have to confront that person anymore. Or if I fight, I don't have to restrain myself anymore. But when we're in that emotional state, the voices we're hearing are generally not from God. You can flush that right away. They're generally not from God. So what is the right condition of the heart that allows a person to hear God's voice? You know, we're not saved by feelings, right? But would anybody in the room argue that it feels good to feel good? All right, think about this with me, and you'll understand what I'm about to say. Let me read this line again. But when we're in that emotional state, the voices we're hearing are generally not from God. So, what is the right condition of heart that allows a person to hear God's voice? It's the way we feel when we are close to God. It's the way we feel when we are close to God. It's what happens to us when we worship into the presence or read his word until our hearts get happy. Amen? Look, you know, say anything you want about me. I'm your pastor. I love you. I know, I know I'm loved here. I know I'm loved here. I, I, I say that with just an extremely humble heart, you know, but I'm not loved by everybody, you know, but I am loved by him. Amen? Have you ever noticed that your pastor comes into church Happy. You know, I love you. I see you. I get excited. And all, what do I say? Oh, you're going to love the message today. You know, I'm just that optimistic. I have that kind of faith in God. You're going to love the message today. Isn't that what I, it, did I say that to anybody today? Did I say that to anybody? Come on now. Oh, well. Okay. All right. It's what happens to us when we worship into the presence or read his word until our hearts get happy. A profound change takes place. Old, sour attitudes drop away and hope returns. And with it comes joy. We feel confident that God will help us deal with whatever is in front of us. Fear is replaced 
with faith. Yeah, amen. Our future suddenly looks entirely different. And in this condition, we're able to recognize God's voice primarily because we no longer reject it. Amen. It's okay. We can get happy. Me and Gloria. Come on now. Let's get happy. (laughs) All two of us. Yes. I love you, Gloria. (laughs) Kathy, thank you for joining us, Eric. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you. All right. I'm excited about the word, all right? When we are in good spiritual condition, it is very helpful to, oh, man, I got, I about jumped ahead there. I can't do that. All right. In this condition, we're able to recognize God's voice primarily because we no longer reject it. Amen? Man, that's exciting. And in this condition, we're able to recognize God's voice primarily because we no longer reject it. We're no longer afraid to walk the high road that he asks us to walk. Had we heard him say such things in the wrong condition, we would have rejected it because it felt overwhelming. It seemed too hard, too frightening, or that it would take too long. But when we hear it with ears of faith, with God close to us, nothing seems impossible because we're no longer relying on ourselves to make it happen. We're merely doing our part so that God can do his part. When we are in good spiritual condition, it is very helpful. Listen to this. This is just a note. This is the point. This is a point that, that we're going to uh, make here that um, I, I, I just want to make sure now that I'm, I'm, I've got all these uh, points in order. I do. Listen to this. When we're in good spiritual condition, it's very helpful to write down what we believe we hear him say. Because those words will remind us of the truth when at times we're not hearing the Lord. How many of you know that when you, if you ebb and flow in your relationship sometimes and you find yourself in a bad spot, that it's a good idea to go back to those times when God was speaking to you, page through them, refresh your heart, refresh your mind, refresh your spirit. Let God make those words fresh again to you. Amen? So I said, when we're in good spiritual condition, it's very helpful to write down what we believe we hear him say because those words will remind us of the truth when at times we're no longer in a good spiritual condition. If fear or anger return, what we heard in the spirit will sound very different from what we're hearing from the flesh. Learning to cling to the one and ignore the other is the key step in our spiritual growth. Learning to cling to the one, deny the other one. Amen? Whenever we are listening to God and he's giving us his word and he's giving us direction and we're strong, we're feeling good, we're moving forward, literally the teeth of the enemy are just being snatched. They're being snatched, right? So he can't, he can't, he can't chew you up. Amen? But when we began to distance ourselves from God, you might as well hand him a set of dentures to eat your lunch with. And he's going to use them. He'll come after you. Amen? All you need to do is align yourself back up with the Word of God. Align yourself back up with prayer. Remind yourself of all those times that God has spoken to you and that he has not changed his mind. Amen? And he's still talking. 
Learning to cling to the one and ignore the other is a key step in our spiritual growth. Next point. Now this one, this one I, I, I will tell you is uh, difficult for me to find a passage of Scripture for. So what does that make that? That makes that, you know, one, you eat the meat, spit out the bones, take it with a grain of salt. But this is a life experience that I want to talk to you about right now that I believe will help those who, who literally, how many of you believe there can be people in the room today that when it comes to hearing the voice of God in their lives, they're novices. They're beginners. And that's okay. Everyone's got to start somewhere. And God gave me this message really for the novices and to remind the practitioners, amen, of these truths. Here's this point. Submit what I hear to others I trust. This is a missing step for many of us and may be one of the most challenging of all. It requires us to identify certain people whom we consider to be trustworthy. They are people who love us enough to tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear it and who won't use their influence to manipulate us to serve their own interests. Amen? Have I... Have, I started to say if I struck a nerve, but have I played a nice note on the piano? <laughs> All right. Such a friend might be an elder or a peer. They might live nearby or far away, but one way or another, we have seen in them a history of accurately hearing from God. Those are good people to learn from. Amen? Ooh, I like that. Their life is not a constant turmoil, even though there may be turmoil around them. There's clear evidence of God's blessing on that which concerns them, and they are honest, and they're pure about it. Obviously, such people are not easy always to find, and ideally, we need several such people in our lives, but you're fortunate if you can find one. If you can't find that one, amen? Now, I highlighted. Is that I like to warn you when I highlight stuff, all right? Highlighting. They are not there to take God's place in the guidance process. Their role is not to tell us what God is saying, but to help us test what we believe we have heard for ourselves. Particularly when it comes to important life-altering matters, we need to humbly submit to them. What we believe we've heard, not necessarily with the words, God told me this, but with the words, I believe I've heard from God, what do you think? In effect, we need to give them permission to disagree with us, not dare them to disagree with us. And if they do disagree, we need to take their thoughts to heart and seek God again, ask him either to confirm what we heard the first time or to correct us. If indeed he confirms what we heard the first time, then we need to respectfully tell our friends that we have decided to, what to do and why and then take full responsibility for the choice we make. It's not going to be that friend's fault or responsibility. Oh, nor can they take credit for it. Amen? If it turns out to be correct, we can thank God for the courage he gave us. If it turns out to be wrong, then we can openly acknowledge that and ask him to show us where we made our mistake, keeping in mind that mistakes are part of the learning process for everyone. You know, there, 
There's a couple of things in the Bible that you have to take into consideration that there are different times and different places, but there's a place in the Old Testament that says if a prophet opens his mouth and he's wrong, kill him. Yeah, if a prophet says, thus saith the Lord, and it wasn't God, stone him to death. Now, do you understand that, that, that there, there are different times and places in the Word of God where God decides to do something different? How many of you understand that God's God and, you know, that's why they wanted to kill Jesus, because he was the creator of the Sabbath. They were getting on to him because he's shucking corn on the Sabbath, moving through a field with his disciples. It says they were hungry, and they harvested some corn, and they're shucking it. That's work. Uh, some Pharisees saw him, accused him, whatever. And Jesus gave them several reasons why he was doing it. But the end one was this, and I'm paraphrasing. And um, God forgive me if I'm, I'm a little too loose with it. But what Jesus said to them was, but I made the Sabbath and I will do with it whatever I please. That's why they wanted to kill him. Because he claimed to be the creator of the Sabbath. Right? The extreme strictness that the Jews developed around the Sabbath, a lot of it was not even the devil. It's just people being people. All right? Now, I said that um, to say this. There was another time in the Old Testament that it says, if the prophet says, thus saith the Lord, and, he, and he's wrong, uh, just move on. He made a mistake. That's different than stoning, Right? Why? Because God can do and say what he wants when he does and says it. But you cannot use that to say that God is not consistent. God is a consistently loving and forgiving God. And that's what you need to cling to. Amen? Now, moving on. If it turns out to be wrong, then we can openly acknowledge that and ask him to show us where we made our mistake, keeping in mind that mistakes are part of the learning process for everyone. Now, this is in closing. Why must I hear his voice? There's a statement that Paul made to the believers in Rome that explains why these steps we have just studied are so important for us to learn. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, there's a connection between hearing and believing. In this verse, Paul's talking about the gospel. Amen? Don't be mistaken. In this verse, God's talking about the gospel, but the connection between hearing and believing applies to anything God speaks to us. Amen? When we hear his voice and know it's him, faith arises in our heart. So that makes faith easier than we think it is. Don't make it difficult. It's not something we have to generate within ourselves. It's something that ignites whenever we hear the voice of God. If I know I've heard from him, oh, this is God. Confidence arises in no, he spoke it to me. Amen? Yeah. It's really that simple. That's why learning to recognize wrong voices and identifying God's voice is absolutely essential to walking in faith. And no one else can do this for me. I can't do it for you. I must hear his voice for myself to have the faith to do what he's asking me to do. So, may the Lord teach each one of us to set aside time to listen. Evaluate my will. 
and evaluate my spiritual condition and submit what I hear to others I trust. May he teach us to know his voice. Stand with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. I felt the impact, Father. I felt the impact myself. Father, I thank you for running sermons through me. I like to, I like to sense and feel and see and hear and experience what you're trying to say to your body. I like it running through me. I like it speaking it, Father. I, like, I enjoy, Father, the good feeling, the humble good feeling that rises up on the inside of me giving your word away. Father, I know that your word touched our lives today. For those children of God in the room that are seasoned, Lord, we know it just refreshed them a bit and it excited them to hear words being shared with those that are learning, maybe for the first time in their lives, how to hear your voice speak deep down on the inside of us in our spirit. I thank you, though, for those, Father, that heard this message for the very first time, never even contemplated hearing your voice. There are, there are people in the world that would try to accuse us of being crazy for uh, saying that we hear your voice. That's okay, Father. They, they persecuted your son. They'll persecute us. We have, a, we have a big brother in Christ with broad shoulders. We have a Holy Ghost that comforts us, fills us to overflowing. Can you say amen? And we have the angels of heaven that encamp and encircle us and watch over us. We have the endurance that your Holy Spirit gives, Father, to withstand the fiery darts of the devil and the accusations of a lost and dying world. We give you all the glory and the honor for that. Father, I want to thank you as I do oftentimes at the end of each service for returning us to a time where brothers and sisters uh, are close, pray together, worship together, don't sing through a mask, get to come down to an altar and spend some time with you before they go home, begin to set some things straight, begin to grow a little deeper, begin to come against the devil whenever we need to in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for teaching us that every now and then we just got to stop and tell the devil to take his hands off in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, once again before we leave here today, I know you've heard me say these things before, but I say them again to rehearse them in the ears of your people. What you have done for the life of Life Spring Bible Church defies Many things we see in this world. We know that there are many churches that don't even exist anymore. Church gatherings, uh, church names don't exist. Other churches, the grass has grown knee deep up in the yard and no one's there to take care of them. No one's, and yet, Father, you've grown this church. Yet, Father, or you've grown this fellowship, this segment of the body of Christ. Never let me be so arrogant, Father, as to think that LifeSpring Bible Church group is just super special. But Father, we are a segment of the body of Christ 
that wholly trust you. I say that in faith in the name of Jesus. We believe in our calling to disciple people through the Word. And you have been helping us do that by teaching us your Word. Thank you, Father, for what you're saying to individuals in this church. May all of us begin to yearn, Father, to set aside time and do all the things that were talked about in this message today to put ourselves in a position to hear from you about our lives, specifically, our families. Maybe if we own a business, our business, our job, help us, Father, to be that person on the job that's there to help and to shine the light of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. You are a good God, a loving God, a gracious God. Lord, I just like to personalize it and thank you for being my father. Thank you for allowing me to be your child. So we go out from this place today, watch over us, keep us safe, Father. Lead God direct. Don't let us forget, Father, what we have heard today. May it be a seed planted deep in the soil that we prayed yesterday. The soil that you would prepare in our hearts, Father, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Fellowship together before you leave here today.